0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 139, first eighteen verses. Psalm 139, 1 through 18, which can be found on page 505 in our Pew Bibles or 975 in the large print pew Bibles. And here we read it's a Psalm of David, where we hear how God knows us better than we even know ourselves. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to read, to hear, to listen, God, that you would give us understanding. Lord, that we would have a better understanding, not just of what the Bible says, but of what it teaches about who you are, that we would come to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more that we would live even now as your people, as members of your kingdom, and that we would continue to be changed into the image of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18, David writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Turning into our New Testament lesson Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21, it should be found on page 845 in our pew Bibles, or sixteen nineteen, 19 in large print pew Bibles. We have Jesus telling a parable in response to a question, or not so much a question. That's an inappropriate prayer request, maybe. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Sounds like a prayer request we have sometimes. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are continuing our uh, study through the book of James, and this morning we have a very short passage, James 4 verses 13 through 17, not very many verses, but they're pretty big ones. Um, Before we get to that, I'll tell you what James has been talking about this whole time, which is basically, if we really believe that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, if we really believe these things, we will live differently than if we don't really believe these things, whether we say we believe them or not. It's when we really believe them that we start making decisions in our life based on who God is, who he says he is, what he says he will do. And we start living that way. And that comes into play again in this particular uh, section. And sometimes, sometimes we read a a passage and we say, okay, I I see how that may have applied to the people back then where it was written to, but I don't see how that has anything to do with us today. And we sort of have to make that... uh, sort of have to bridge that gap between the then and the now. This is one of those passages where it is talking about a situation that I think may be even more problematic for us today than it was back then. More likely that this is the situation in our, uh, in our culture than it was in theirs. And therefore, less need of explaining how, it, how this applies today because it's just right there on the surface. But what we're going to be talking about, just so you know in advance, is one of the ways that we tend to play God. That we pretend that we are God, that we act like we are God, that we try to take his place in our own lives. Secondly, of course, why we should not do that. And then, third and fourthly, what we should do instead, and why we should do that instead. Alright, so we begin It says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There we have it. Not very long, but very countercultural in the way in which uh, even today, and especially today, we tend to want to play God. Here's how we do that He says, He's talking to those people who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. That's the issue. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the problem here? Why is this a problem that people would make plans to go to a city, carry on business, and make money? And it's not that they are planning for the future. And it's not that they are carrying on business. That's not, it's not traveling that he's opposed to. It's the arrogance that comes along with saying, I know what's going to happen in the future. It's the... Uh, projecting yourself into the future and saying I can tell everything that's going to happen and I'm going to do these things in this order and here's how it's going to go because the implication is I know the future I know everything I am the one who is all-knowing I am the one who's all-powerful because if something happens that catches me by surprise don't worry I'll have that figured out too and can take care of it I am in control and I know the future do you see the problem but yet, does this describe our culture today? There's a lot of money to be made if you can convince people that you know the future. A lot of it. And we do it all the time. This is, And even when, even when our predictions are not that accurate of the future, there are all the times things that come in and surprise us in whatever prediction field we may be in. And if we stop, if we think about it, and this is what James is saying, is it would make sense for someone to live this way if they didn't believe that there was anybody higher than themselves. If you really believe that I am the one who is in total control of my own future, I can make it, and I can make it happen however I want. So all I have to do is decide that this is what I'm going to go for, and I can do it. So if that's what you believe then it would make sense He you would live that way. But for people who really have an understanding of who God is, for people who have an understanding that his perspective is so different from ours, we can't be talking like this. We can't be living like this. And so he gives the comparison. You know, we might pretend that we are all-knowing, that we are all-powerful, but then he makes the comparison. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And what it does there is it gives us two, uh, two comparisons in ways that we are very different from God. You know, in this, the parable the rich fool that Jesus is telling this guy, what was he trying to do? He was wanting to store up all the stuff now so he could quit doing his job. And he would have stuff to last him forever. And he would just live on and on and on taking it easy. And Jesus says he was a fool because he had no idea that his life was about to end. And he had all this stuff stored up for no purpose. No purpose at all. And he said that's how it is for anybody who is rich towards the things of this world for themselves, store up riches for themselves, but they're not rich towards God. Our lives are very short. They don't seem that way When we're very young, the older we get, the shorter they seem. And that is one of the things that wisdom teaches us, is to number our days, that we would live now in light of eternity. Not that we would live now just for now, and not that we would live assuming that our lives are just going to go on and on as they are now, but that we would live now in recognition that at any moment... It could end. That whether it is... I'll give you a few examples. I saw a good illustration of this principle though, yesterday, watching the OU Texas game. Yeah. My brother's here from Oklahoma right now, so we had to watch that together. It's fun. I won't tell you what school he attended. Anyway... um, but in watching this game, there was a play where as the whistle's blown, uh, the ref is watching the call, and from straight behind him, you have some players who are still blocking and just run right into the ref. Nothing malicious, nothing intentional about it. It just happened. But what was uh, what I saw in that is when you watch it on camera, from the perspective of the camera, you see the hit getting ready to happen. This guy's getting ready to get taken out. And he's going to go down, and he's going to be hurt, which he was. I think he's okay now. But uh, from the perspective of the referee, no warning. So they go back, and they show it in slow motion. And you can watch the whole thing develop. And you can watch as he's still standing there, facing this direction. And you see all this trouble brewing behind him. And you want to scream, watch out! (laughs) Look around. This is coming for you. But he has no idea. And he's carrying along his normal job, calling the play as he sees it. Until he's knocked over. Completely blindsided. We all know, here's the illustration, we all know that life blindsides us. We get hit with things we do not see coming. We all know people who have had, if it hasn't happened to us, we know people who have had their lives either ended or changed dramatically in an instant. You're driving down a road that you've driven hundreds of times. And in a moment, somebody crosses the center line. and Everything changes. You are going to work just as you always have. But on that day, things are different and you never come home. I have known people who through accidents, through aneurysms, through acts of violence, have gotten up on a normal day thinking today will be just like yesterday. And who never came home that night. We all know people like this. Life blindsizes with things we can't see coming. And we talk about things that, you know, the storms of life that just come out of the the blue, out of the clear blue sky. In other words, if you looked at the sky, it's completely clear blue. There should be no storm. And then there it is. There was no warning. We couldn't see it coming. We had no idea. And the point is, we are not the ones in control. There are things that happen that we cannot control for. Don't worry. There will be plenty of people who will promise you that they can control it for you that they're trying to find the answers. And that if we just had more information or if we just had more technological advancement that we could control for every factor and you would never be surprised by any of the storms of life. And it is true. We can make more accurate predictions than we could in the past. We can now do a little better than a coin flip in many areas. (laughs) And if you can do better than a coin flip in some areas, that makes you an expert. I'm not kidding. That's actually true. (laughs) But we're still not in control. And even when we have the illusion of control, and even when we have the illusion of being able to tell the future, and even when we have the illusion of being immortal, we'll just keep going on and on, just like this. James says, wake up. That's not how the world is. You know that's not how the world is. You can look at examples in your own life. You can look at examples in your past. the past week. We did this actually as an experiment in our science school class today. I had asked the students to just tell me something that happened this past week that if I had asked you last Sunday, do you think this will happen? They would have said, no way, no way. And everybody had something they could share that from this last week, they could say, I never would have thought that would happen. And yet it did. And we probably all have stories like that, things I never thought would happen. Well, guess what's coming this week? Probably something you don't see coming. This is why James says, quit boasting, quit acting like you're in the place of God, like you are the one who's in control, that you're the one who's all-powerful, that you're the one who knows all and can account for every situation, and that if you just had enough knowledge, enough power, or pretend like you do, that'll be enough to make you immortal. No. No. He says, drop the sham, drop the illusion. Understand that it is God who knows these things. So that is how we play God. That is why we should not be playing God in this way. So what is it we're supposed to do instead? Well, obviously, we turn to the one who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, and who is um, actually immortal. And he says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Right? If it is the Lord's will... It's not just, if it is the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. He takes it a step back and says, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Because if it's not the Lord's will, there's nothing we can do where we say, well, I'm going to make it happen anyway. Right? In fact, if it's not the Lord's will for us to wake up tomorrow, there's nothing we can do to make that happen either. And so he says, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, he says, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So when we are putting ourselves in the place of God and trying to pretend that we're the ones who have control, he says that is evil. We're turning ourselves away from God and living as though we can do what only he can do. Not trusting in him, but trusting in ourselves. So, then he concludes with this verse. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Say that again. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. For years, I took this verse as having nothing to do with this passage. It was just another random, like a little pithy proverb tacked on at the end, but had nothing to do with the rest of it. And I've heard it taught this way as far as you know, the whole sins of omission versus sins of commission kind of thing, which says that we're not only held accountable for the things that we do, that God has said, don't do these things, and we do them, but we're also held accountable for the things that he says, do these things, and we don't do them. Right? And we see that. That's, a, that's an absolutely true principle. We see it even in the uh, parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan, and you have the guy who's in need, and we have the priest who walks by, and does nothing, and we have the Levite who comes by, and does nothing, and the Samaritan comes by and helps. And the implication is that the priest and the Levite are guilty for what they did when they didn't stop to help. Now, they weren't breaking one of the Ten Commandments, it wasn't like that um, that they were murdering somebody, it wasn't that they were committing adultery, it wasn't that they were stealing or lying, they weren't coveting, and they could go home at the end of the night and say, I didn't do any of those things God told me not to do. And yet, still, they were sinning because they weren't loving your neighbor, which is the reason Jesus tells the parables when the guy asks, Well, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to be loving? Because there are things that God has told us to do. And it says, If we don't do the things that He's told us to do, that's sinning too. And the reason that's sinning, by the way, is because of what sin is, which is often not what people think it is. One of the ways that we can take this is, oh great, there are more things that God can zap me for, right? So I thought that it was just I had to keep myself clean of doing these things he's told me not to do. And if I can just keep from doing those things, then all is well. And now I find out there's all these other things that I'm supposed to be doing too. And if I don't do those, then he's going to zap me for that. And we see the Bible's descriptions of sins as reasons God can zap us. Well, we can look at it that way. And we can look at other people and the things that they're either doing or not doing and make a good case as to why God maybe should zap them too. However, as we read through the Gospels and the New Testament all the way through, we see, that's not why they're given the description of sin. Because really what sin is, is a missing the mark. It's not living up to what uh, God has for us because we're not living in communion with him. And, here's where it gets really amazing, is that God doesn't zap us because he zapped Jesus. And he zapped Jesus so that we could still live with God, even when we are not doing the things that he said to do, and we are doing the things he said not to do. Jesus took that on him. He took the penalty that we could live with God. In other words, it's not a matter of okay, I've done another thing that now God has a reason to get me. It's a matter of, it's not about breaking commandments, it's about breaking a relationship. All right, let me give you an example. If I am headed to the grocery store and I call my wife and I say, hey, I'm going to be at the grocery store, I'm going to pick up some things, you need anything? She says, oh, actually, yes, I'm uh, making this thing for dinner, we're almost out of milk, can you pick me up a gallon of milk? Sure. And then I come home and I got everything else, but I didn't get the milk. I said, yeah, I got to thinking about it and I figured... You could do that just as well as I could. So, you know, why don't you go do that? Now, could she get the milk on her own? Of course. Is she going to be upset with me? Of course. And guys, I'll just give you, this is like a little separate talk on marriage here, but uh, the reason she's upset is not because she's looking for things that she can get me for. It's because when I have said, yeah, I'm going to get the milk that you've asked me to get, it's not that I come home and I didn't get it, and it's like, oh, I broke a commandment. She said, thou shalt bring me milk, and I did not bring it. (laughs) And therefore, I'm guilty for breaking the commandment. No, it's not that. It's when I come home without the milk, she looks at me and says, (laughs) whether or not she says it out loud, her eyes say, I thought we were in this together. And when I don't bring the milk, what I'm saying is, nope, we are not in this together. You're on your own. That's the issue. And when we're breaking these commandments that God has given us, it's not like, well, now he can zap me because I broke a commandment. It's the idea of, are we in this together or not? And what he's continually calling us to is a life with him, where we're in this together. And we see that with Jesus when he comes and he is Emmanuel, God with us. And then he actually goes and gives his life and is raised again that we could be with God. Right, that when we are breaking the commands, when we are breaking fellowship with God, we're breaking our relationship, and we're turning and going from him, either by doing the things that he said not to do, or by not doing the things he said to do, and in either case, we're showing, we're not really in this together. I'm going my way, you go your way. But in either case, it's in Jesus that God comes to us and says, I will make the relationship right again. Come back. Let's start over. Let's do this together. Through all of life. So, okay. So, there is that in this final verse. But there's another tie in with the whole passage. It's not just a standalone proverb about sins of omission, where we omit to do things that God has told us to do. It's actually talking about this particular passage. In other words, when it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There are two things, two other things going on here. Besides what all we've mentioned so far. One is, we don't know what's coming. This is kind of the anti-procrastination verse. Because it's saying, if you see somebody who is in need, and if you have the means to help them, and you say, I'll get to that eventually, We're putting ourselves in the same place as the people that James is talking to. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city or whatever. When we are putting off the things that God has said to do, that's a way that we convince ourselves that, well, really, I am in this with him eventually. That I will get around to the things that he's told me to do eventually. And James says that is the same kind of thing as what we were talking about in the business sense earlier. When we're not doing the things that God has told us to do because we say we're going to get to them eventually, we're claiming to know the future. We're claiming to know that we have the power over it. And he's saying, no, no, no. If you know the good you're supposed to do and you try to put that off till later, you're breaking your relationship with God and saying, for now, we're not in this together. Even while you're deceiving yourself and saying, well, I have good intentions eventually to get around to it but there's another sense where it says if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them and that is uh, this whole passage this whole book has been about living a life with God based on the things that we know about who he is and how he works in our lives with us for us through us and in that sense, if we know this to be the case, now that we know that this is the situation we live in, that we should not be deceiving ourselves, thinking that we are in control of the future, thinking that we are all-powerful or all-knowing, that life will never catch us by surprise because we will always be a step ahead. Because listen, if you know these things are true now and you don't live like they're true, if you continue to fall back into the, uh, the ways of the rest of the culture and try to and you continue to live as though you're in complete control of your future, even though you know that's not the case, said if you know this is good and you're not doing that, it's sin. That doesn't mean it's another reason for God to zap you. It means you're, you're not living with God. So where does this leave us? This should leave us, as Christians, living differently than the rest of the world. Where we live more like the people who are marching around Jericho. Who are living, trusting God, not trusting their own strength. We're living like the armies of Gideon, who go to battle as an extreme minority. As God whittles their army down, not trusting in their own strength but trusting in his. We are living as people who approach the world as Jesus. The one, by the way, who actually did know what was coming in the future. You remember when he kept talking to his disciples and saying, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed and they kept saying, that's not true. That will never happen to you. He knew it would. He went there anyway. But he also knew it was on the other side of the grave. We are to live as people who trust his way through everything. That we don't know the future. He does. We are not all powerful. He is. We cannot even know how to best prepare ourselves for what's coming tomorrow because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. So we should live with God in every moment. Doing the things that he's calling us to do. Not doing the things he's not calling us to do. That we would come to know him better. To love him more. And know what it means to have life. Every moment of life. With him. In the name of the Father